there's two things that bring people together always music and food all the time it doesn't matter who it is like at my pop-up i can have a christian a queer a muslim all in the same room you know all these differences cultures different cultures you know all under the same roof to have some food and enjoy each other's company with no hate involved no dislike involved but just the idea of just like a space where we could just enjoy ourselves that's Tarek Abdullah aka Chef Tarek and this is the emerging future What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Emerging Future Podcast. Uh, this week is awesome. Uh, we have Tarek Abdullah, who is just one cool cat. I mean, oh, I love this guy. Um, and you're going to love this conversation. And by the way, it's snowing outside right now. I'm in my basement recording this intro, and... There is snow falling, and as I'm recording this, I get a little text, instant message, whatever you want to call it, on my screen, and and Mary's upstairs, and she's staring outside, and she's feeling joy as well. So there's, there's joy in the house, and there's joy in the world, and this is what I'm talking about, the emerging future. Okay, yeah, we got a lot of crap going down right now. Everybody knows that. Everybody's feeling it. But at the same time, Newton's law, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So for all that crap that's going on in the world right now, what our president is doing, all that angst and stuff, there is an equal and opposite reaction that's emerging. And that's what this podcast is about. So I'm talking to people who are curious, compassionate, and courageous. These people who are co-creating our desired and emerging future. And every single person I talk to so far embodies all three of these principles. And it's just amazing how, how these things emerge out of the conversation. So before we get into Tarek, just a few things. If you want to support this show, I put up a Patreon page. That's P A T R. No, is that P A T or P P? Yeah, P A T R E O N. Patreon. dot com slash emerging future, and it's a way for you to support this. Um, these things, these podcasts, take a lot of time to not only do, but but also um, to uh, edit and put up the the web pages with the links and. And uh, what I try to do is, well, just give you a little insight on how, how I'm doing this, the process for me. So I take these conversations, and then I go home, and then I listen to them again. 
And when I listen to him, I'm not thinking about, oh, what am I going to say next? Or, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, present in the conversation. But I'm really trying to find the through line for these conversations. And then I try to encapsulate that on the web page. So check those out. Lyman.space, that's L-I-M-E-N dot space slash emerging future. And that's where um, I'll have the show notes and kind of a recap and an overview of everything. Patreon page is where you can donate to the show. And if you want to hang out with me, if you want to plant some trees, if you want to pull some weeds and build some trails, come on. Building trails is the best. It's the best. It's my favorite part about forest restoration. So um, check out chiesty.org, C-H-E-A-S-T-Y.org, and that's a forest restoration project I'm involved with here in Seattle, urban forest restoration. We're cleaning it up, and we're making it safe and accessible for the community. Love doing it. I'll be out there this weekend. Um, I'm out there first Saturdays and third Saturdays mostly. So chiesty.org. So on to... Tarek, okay? Tarek Abdullah, a.k.a. Chef Tarek. This guy is so cool. Okay, um, he found his purpose at a really young age. Feed the people, teach the kids. How cool is that? Feed the people, teach the kids. So he grew up in um, urban Seattle in the Central District, which looks a lot different now. Um, he grew up in a Muslim family, um, really rich black cultural community, and a lot of his friends were from the Mediterranean area, North Africa, and so he got to experience all of these di- diverse um, diverse meals as he's going over to his friend's house. And, and this rich culture and all that combined um, really gave him uh, a sense of community, and, and that led to him really— um, really following his passion for food and taking that on at a young age. And it's really interesting to talk to him because he, he not only like found a passion for cooking and, and for food and for being a chef, but he always had this um, idea that what he was doing as a chef needed to encompass something that was bigger than himself, like uh, that it's giving back, it's benefiting the world it's and and he loves kids and so what he did along um, along the way while he's learning how to be a chef he incorporates all these cooking classes for kids in the neighborhood and and teaches them while he's learning i think it's just such a beautiful model and then and then he goes on to actually become one of the celebrity chefs so he he got on the um, abc's the taste so it's a reality TV show where chefs compete, and it's kind of like the that show, The Voice, where they get the mentors. So Anthony Bourdain, who, if you know anything about celebrity chefs, he's the guy, you know, picks Tarek. Um, so he goes through that whole process, and then he's kind of in this rare air of of celebrity chefs, and he uh, had a stint as Kanye West's personal chef, and then after that. He was invited to do a show for Vice called The Munchies. Um, you can find um, more about Tarek and these shows. He has he has some things on his um, his website, Chef Tarek. 
Tarek.com. So check that out. But the thing that's really great about Tarek is it's not about the limelight for him. And it's not about him, you know, taking what he's learned and opening up, you know, some restaurant where he's the high and mighty chef in the back and his name's on the door. No. He has a deep and rich sense of community that he learned at a very young age. And he understands that there is a need in the world for recreating and investing in community now. And that's kind of the big, big missing piece. And that's where he's taking his purpose, feed the people, teach the kids, and using that to create community. So he is opening what's called the Black and Tan Hall in Hillman City, a neighborhood in Seattle. And it's a it's a co-op gathering space. It's a restaurant. It's a lounge. Um, it's a performance hall. And because they set it up as a co-op, they're really inviting all kinds of different people to come together with their ideas and to share in the ownership of this space as they're, they're um, kind of rebirthing it. Um, it was once a... Uh, a lounge. Well, it's actually been a lounge for a long time. Um, and Tark talks about that in the episode, what it was and, and now what um, what is being created soon. So I can't wait for you to meet Tark and listen to his story. I had such a blast talking to him. And I can't wait for the Black and Tan Hall to open too and, um, and be a part of that vision. So without further ado, here's... Tarek Abdullah. Well, this is cool. I've been wanting to uh, just get to know you, you right. know, as as an as a neighbor. You know, I've right. I've seen you around for years, you know, yeah, in town. But you know, it's just like we're all into our own stuff, and um, that's got to change now. Now that has to change. Well, that's like how we, you know. Now it has to be more of just like constantly seeing each other. We gotta be so together many, for for so many reasons, man. So, you know, it's work, man. It's you know, it's a lot of work. I, I don't know. I had a really good conversation with my lady the other night, and we just, I just, you know, we were just talking about like the state of the world, and you know, everyone has a, you know, what their place is and how what their purpose is, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I know what my purpose is, and. Uh, it's very challenging, you know, um, because of like what I have to go up against on a daily basis, you know, and it's, you know, there's some days where it's just like, damn, man, really? And there's days where I'm just like, this is why I do it, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, but I'm always driven, man, because I'm not satisfied not with say the state of the world. I mean, yeah, I'm sad. I'm just satisfied with this, with the state of the world, but I'm not satisfied how the common human has to live on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And I don't like the idea of how we don't take the time to to learn culture outside the computer and press. I don't like the idea of neighborhoods changing and not acknowledging the past that allows you the opportunity to actually live in this neighborhood. I don't like the idea of 
access to quality food, fruits and vegetables to anyone at an affordable price. Mm -hmm. You know, like my mind is constantly rolling on how it's all about solutions. It's never, I'm not a vocalizer, you know, I'm not a person that's in the streets. I'm not about marches. I, you know, people have, the, everyone has their place, you know, and my place is not marching. My place is figuring out solutions so we can all live a little bit better, not on a state level, not on a nationwide level, but on a citywide community level, which is very, which is easy to accomplish if we just learn how to like understand each other and have an ear, you know? And uh, I've just pretty much just been around that since I was a kid, man. So my, my parents were pretty much community organizers in both the African-American community and the Muslim community. Um, so it's always something that I play, that's, that, you know, it plays quite dearly to my heart, man. And, I feel like why, especially right now, what we're about to go into, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one thing to talk about like the Reagan era or the Bush era or even before my time. Like there was, you know, there was been politicians like presidents, man, you pick, you could pick an era and it didn't matter what color, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we all had rough times, man. But if you look at it, we're actually still here. You know, and there's a reason why we still here because there are folks out there that are willing to put in the work for us to move forward and not feel like we're completely defeated. And I think now we're really about to be put into a position to where like communal accountability, I guess I could say, mm -hmm. is going to be very important. Um, and it's just that, you know, the idea of like how we interact, how we spend our money, where we spend our money, um, education for our kids, uh, jobs, homes, uh, homelessness, you know what I mean? Like these are all subjects that are constantly being talked about, but it's not dialogue that's being, you know, practice. It's one thing to talk about it and say, Hey, Hopefully somebody in the political system is going to fight for fight for us and help us make change. And I'm not saying that they're not doing the job, but I think a lot of us have abilities to do some changes, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. without the process, without the political process. You know, it could be money, it could be volunteer time, it could be hosting something at your house. It could be providing meals. I mean, there's, there's multiple things for folks to be able to have access to. Um, but a lot of it just has to be about practice and not thinking about the I thing. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm just gonna think about for myself and my family and that's it. Like, you mean you tell me you wake up every day, you get on the bus or you ride your bike or you're in your car and you see tent city you mean to tell me you don't think about that like you you sleep fine at night every mm -hmm. night like clearly do you and it shouldn't take something severe for us to 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 not think about change for all of us like but it always takes something tragic or severe for us to be quote unquote woke you know and uh 
you know, for me, it's just like, and like a lot of us that are in this, that are part of the Black and Tan Hall, we just feel like, you know, there's opportunities to make change. And we're gonna have hurdles, but we've always had hurdles. You know what I mean? We go up against, we've gone up against taxes. We've gone up against like trying to have jobs. We go, we go up against hurdles all the time. But why not put it towards, why not go up against a hurdle that we know that it can actually make change? So. Well, I feel like we become paralyzed, but because some of these things are so big, they just seem like they're nebulous and like they're unreachable for me as a person. Therefore, I'm paralyzed and I'm not going to do anything. And what I'm hearing you say is that everybody has the capacity and the potential to do something at a small level. And it's going to be the combined actions of many people, the small combined actions that are going to lead to this place where we need to go, positive change. Exactly. And, you know, we've systematically have been programmed to to basically live our life based on tech, press, TV, and consumerism. You know what I mean? And maybe, you know, and those things, when you're constantly in that mode, you're not thinking of anything else. You know, and the only time you do think about anything else, usually it's when finances get tough, death, uh, I don't know the the change in our neighborhood, but yeah, um, but yeah, that's like the only time we seem like we only start waking up and and you know, but the little things do make progress, mm-hmm. you know, and it's okay to feel like if it's okay to feel like you actually did something, and it may not change five hundred people, but it changed one person's life, mm-hmm. even for that fragment of time, you know, giving somebody a fresh meal that they had probably hadn't gotten in like a couple days. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and you should feel good about that. Um, And so, you know, the, you know, the, the thing is what we need to do now is one thing is we have to practice for ourselves, but we also need to practice so our babies understand that because they're, they see the world totally different from compared to how we see it, Mm -hmm. you know, and, we need to give them guidance so they can actually truly put this world in a different place when we leave. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always going to be about the babies for me first. You know, um, I love I love how they perceive things. You know what I mean? It cracks me up. I'm not a parent, but I love how they, at a young age, like curiosity is yeah. is so cool. And I think, you know, I think we lose our curiosity when we grow up, you know, when we become adults. And it's okay to have curiosity. It's okay to not really understand it and see it in a way that you're not used to seeing it. It's okay. And that's how kids see things. And that's great, man. You know, but they just need some help along the way so they can truly understand it. So um, that's where I just feel like I play my I play my role with them and just guide them along the way so so let's go let's go back to when um you grew up in this neighborhood right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in hillman city columbia city which mm-hmm. one pretty much all down through the valley yeah rainier valley we started out in kent then we moved 
to the south end Rainier Valley area, and then we moved out to the Central District. Okay. And I stayed out there till I was about eighth grade, and then we moved out north to to Northgate area, and I went to high school out north. Okay. Um, but I grew up in the Central in the early '80s. What was know? that like? Oh man, it was a different. It was a different time. It was it was a predominant black neighborhood. You know, it was black owned businesses everywhere, everywhere. Um, there was a small African African community, but they started emerging really like mid eighties. Uh, there was always an, uh, a Japanese or a Chinese community, but it was just a different time. It was just like everybody knew everybody. And there was always events where it, it involved people just coming together, be it, or, or for instance, the uh, the Emoja Fest at Jug, Judkins Park was like the thing every summer. It's just like booths, music, food. And it was just about just black culture, just coming together for a day or for a couple of days and just enjoying themselves. And then, you know, I mean, and then times changed, you know. It was really all about, you know, you had the Central District, downtown Seattle, and then you had folks that worked in downtown Seattle. They pretty much mostly lived on the other side of the water or they lived out north, mostly on the other side of the water. But then realizing it's like, why go through all that? The commute, mm -hmm. this and that when I can just live right in the central district and I can walk to work, I can bus to work, I can bike to work, you know? And once that, and once people started catching on to that, the neighborhood just started changing, hmm. you know? And pretty much either people were being forced out because, you know, when you buy a property, things go up, you know? Or people just basically sold their property, they took the money and left. Um, and the neighborhood basically just started changing. And you know, when a neighborhood changes with a different type of culture comes in, they're gonna have a totally different look on how the neighborhood should be or perceived. And, uh, and then people don't, and then when you got that on top of folks that don't know how to deal with the change, mm -hmm. you know, you have, that's a lot to, that's a lot to think about, mm -hmm. you know? and. Pretty much once the central district changed, I, I was like, oh yeah, it's only a matter of time before the south end just, for the south, like Rainier Valley starts mm -hmm. changing and sure enough, we're seeing it now. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that gentrification is completely bad. All I'm saying is that there needs to be balance, you know? Um, I'm, you know, all the neighborhoods now are cookie cutter the same, pretty much all the same. They have very little culture. There's really no neighborhood feel to them. They mm -hmm. try to act like there is, but it's just like, when you walk down the street and you can't get an acknowledgement, a simple acknowledgement of just saying hello, you know the neighborhood has changed. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up on hellos all the time, no matter who it was. Elders, I didn't know who the elders were. You always spoke to your elders, simple stuff. But now it's just like, I just walked down Columbia City, what, a week ago? It was like eight o'clock at night. Typical, you know, hat, pea coat, 
going to PCC, probably grab something to eat or whatever. I don't know. I probably walked by 10, 12 people. Nothing. Head down, nothing. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with saying hi? I didn't say we got to sit here and have a conversation. I didn't say we we're going to break bed on politics and this <laughs> and that. What's wrong with a hi? Mm -hmm. You know, human interaction is so non-existent in a lot of these new neighborhoods now. But then there's like these internal complaints about, I don't like how the neighborhood is. Well, it's just like, well, you can start by just saying hi. Mm -hmm. That's a good start. Talk about what's on your mind that's missing. Help bring something that's missing back into the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and so that's why I love Hillman City because it still has an opportunity to be a unique neighborhood. You know, considering like every, there's only like really two unique neighborhoods left in Seattle, and I think it's Greenwood and Hillman City all the way down through Rainier Beach. Mm -hmm. Those are the only two neighborhoods, and the only reason why I say that is because there is a mix in in Greenwood, not like what we have down here, mm -hmm. but they have just a different, they've always had a different outlook on how they want their neighborhood to run. I don't know why, but something about that little section, that little nook of neighborhood, mm -hmm. yeah, they got some new stuff, but for the most part, pretty much everybody knows everybody. They try to, they do the best they can to support each other. And that's why I feel like the opportunity can be here but it's just like, it's not about having the fancy brand new buildings. You know what I mean? It's not always about that. It's all, it's about like us living amongst each other, having different thoughts on what a neighborhood is and it's okay, mm -hmm. you know? But you gotta, you know, you've never been into a do cafe, go in there. But realize this is not gonna be La Medusa. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's no disrespect to La Medusa, but you got to understand that's their culture. Right. You know what I mean? You're going into a place that you've never gone. You need to just go in, don't say much, order some food, eventually say hi, you know, become a regular, you know, because I could, I could probably ask half the people that live in this neighborhood less than 10 years, and I could ask them, how many times have you stepped into a Duke Cafe? Cafe Zanta, uh, the Gambian store, Mawada Cafe. Have you ever stepped in any of those spaces ever? You know, and I guarantee you, it'll probably say mm, maybe once. Why not more than once? There's something in there for everybody. Mm -hmm. Cut it out. There is, mm -hmm. and the food's good, or the place, the people are nice. They want to live just like everyone else. Yeah. You know, so. There's a lot of work to be done, but also at the same time, there needs to be sacrifice that people need to make and, and they have to make it. Because yeah. if we don't, we're gonna end up having the same conversation. Neighborhood changes, new buildings, blah, blah, blah. It's over, that's it. We move out, we're living in Tacoma and Lakewood. I like how you use the word practice because you know we talk to our kids about saying hi to people just we're not like we're hey we're not going to lose this you know and we need to we need to be the ones who are going to practice saying hi so we say hi you know mm -hmm. and and we do this and it's just it's just you know daily thing that whenever we go walking we try and do 
try to make eye contact. We say, use your eyes. You know, when we're order, ordering food at a restaurant too, it's like, no, use your eyes. Right. You know, we need to connect as human beings. And then the practice turns into a way of being and it doesn't become a thing anymore. No. Right. Exactly. And then it's on to the next thing, right? Right. It's What's like, next? Yeah. What's next? Let's keep doing it. And it's, that's that curiosity of like, okay, how can we build community even more? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and, and I like to the, if everyone takes a little bit of responsibility, just like you know, asking themselves the question, what can I do to be a little bit more open? For us, when we moved into the neighborhood, mm-hmm. our street was in pretty bad shape. It right. was the number two drop-off street for stolen vehicles. So all the time, you know, here, here comes somebody. So the little thing for us was we're going to leave our blinds open. That was like step one. Right. And then like step two was we're going to garden in the front part of the house. Right. So we'll be on the street, you know, and, and we'll interact with people. Yeah. And then like step three was, okay, well, well we're going to take down the hedge, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, we're here. We're going to be here. And, and we want to see people and we want to be seen. And I think that's just a, a fundamental yeah. for community. It's so weird. It's funny you say that about opening the blinds, you know, like I grew up on the whole thing of like the front door being open, the doorbell, you know, you know, windows open you know like now it's just like you walk by a neighborhood blinds are closed you don't really see nobody you know it's just a very it's a bubble it's a bubble lifestyle you know Mm -hmm. and I'm just like why like why are you so caught up in just staying in your bubble, but mm-hmm. then you want change. Like that think that's the weird, that's a very weird thing to, to talk about. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? How can you talk about, you want this, 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 you're fed up with this, 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 and this, but you stay in your bubble in your house. You go to, you stay in your little bubble of friends. You stay in your little bubble of places to shop, to eat, to play, you know? Like that's backwards thinking, homie. Mm-hmm. Was like, come on. I mean, that's why. That's why I've, I've always wanted to just get people together and just ask, like, really, what is neighborhood to you? What mm-hmm. is a neighborhood to you? And don't compare it to like no other neighborhood. I mean, what is neighborhood to you? What does that look like? And what would you do? What would you do to create that? And can you create that? And if you do create that, can you commit to that till you pass the house on to your next, to your next loved one or until you move out? Or do you plan to keep that practice in your neighborhood always going? Like, Mm -hmm. are you going to pass that down to your kids? Those are just, and those are just simple things. Those are not, that's not hard things to like, figure out, understand, mm-hmm. and do. You know, we are humans. Yes, yeah, some of us speak different languages. So what? Mm-hmm. That's cool. I want to learn a new language. Mm-hmm. You know? So what? We have different religious practices. That doesn't make us, that doesn't make us a non-human being. We breathe. We drink water. We eat. We shop. We raise kids. 
don't see too much of a difference, right? Right. You know, some people may think it's like, it's very hippie to like talk what we're talking about right now. But that's not hippie, mm -hmm. man. That's just what we're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Some spiritual being allowed us to live on this planet with all these beautiful resources and given us this opportunity to live here, right? But for some strange reason, we choose not to. And so, okay, so let Mother Nature will just give us examples. All right, you don't want to do that then? All right, deal with this typhoon. Deal with this earthquake. Mm -hmm. Deal with this volcano eruption. And there's some other things I might decide to do. I just won't let you know. But guaranteed, when it comes, it's going to come. And then everything else that we deal with on a daily basis. Consumption, consumerism, and politics. You know, like, and I'm just like, come on. It's okay. I, I have no problem with people having their choice and what they politically believe in, this and that. But I feel, I feel like politics have nothing to do with us living amongst each other. You know, it's okay to like break bread and talk about your feeling on how, I don't know, whatever they talk about in politics. But at the end of the day, there better be a hug, a shake, some pancakes, something. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Well, it sounds like you know, your background, you grew up with a really rich culture mm -hmm. and a really rich connectedness within your community, um, with with people. You were connected to the elders, you know, and everyone kind of, kind of knew each other. So then the world changes and the world evolves and you live in a couple of different neighborhoods. And now it, it almost seems like if, if I'm understanding this correctly, you're feeling the loss of that in a way and going, wait a second, this isn't how the world works or is supposed to work, but, right. th but this is how we're operating and right. we're becoming less human mm -hmm. as a result of this kind of mm -hmm. disconnectedness. And, um, it's interesting you brought up, you know, what the, what the world is showing us, like the e ecosystems will show right. us that we thrive in diversity. Mm -hmm. We need diversity. We totally do. But we need to understand that we all connect with each other and we it's not something that we can um, just decide that we're going to do on like we want diversity, but we don't want to participate. Right. Why? You know, that's so weird. That's very. Oh, man, I don't know. That's a it's so funny. Yeah, it's weird. What's that line practice? practice what you preach or <laughs> yeah like that that clearly doesn't exist i mean it does but on a very small level on a very small scale um but I, I i really i'm curious to see how people are going to honestly practice these just for the next year you know are you know what are people doing when they wake up in the morning what are they saying that, what are they gonna do in the morning when they wake up to feel like they're part of the change, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I, I, I seriously, I mean, sometimes there's days where I just feel like I'm gonna just give it a few more days because I know everyone's all amped up from the inauguration mm -hmm. and then, you know, of course the marches and everything, but I'm gonna give it a few more days, you know, before I, just do a little observation just 
I'm going to just walk the neighborhood mm-hmm. and just see what happens. Like, I'll just say hi just to say hi first. But then I'm going to just walk and just see who's going to say hi f- before I say hi. Mm-hmm. Now that, if that, if I don't, if it's, if I don't see that, then I might just start, then I, then I have the right to address something. Like if you can spend all this time and money, mind you, I don't want to know how much money we just spent on Saturday across mm-hmm. this country and then just wasted all that stuff sitting out in the middle of the street. Who cleans that up? But if you're going to spend all this time vocalizing resistance and hate and equal rights and matters living, you know, everybody's lives matter. Well, then, you know what? I expect to see you simple. Just say hi. Mm -hmm. The flip side of that coin Mm -hmm. is you had a lot of people going outside and walking down the street. Mm hmm that probably haven't ever marched before. Yeah, true. You know? Very that true. There's enough of a wave of angst that it created this movement that got people outside and to walk together. And I think that's a really good first step. It is. I think what our challenge is, and this is why creating neighborhoods, um, thriving neighborhoods is so important, is because this, the systems and the institutions will suck slowly suck people back in. Mm-hmm. They go back to work. Mm-hmm. They go back to their own routine, and 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 it just sort it sort of wears off, and then they lose kind of that that uh, um, collective strength that they felt. Or you right. know, like hey, we're in this together. Well, now actually, I'm just back to back my, to my latte yeah. at Starbucks. Yeah, you know what I'm saying like yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's it's hard to practice what you preach. You know, I mean, it's hard to make those daily choices uh, of I'm going to do something. Um, but again, this, it comes back to community. When you have community on your down days, you have somebody else going um, or, or they're practicing what they preach. And, and it's a reminder to go, oh, right. Yeah. OK. Yeah. They're doing it. I need to do it, too. Mm-hmm. I need to be here. I need to show up. I need to be awake. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, you're somebody who practices what you preach. I feel you, like I you, do. You've been yeah. a curious person kind of your whole life. And I think it, it came from that rich upbringing. Yeah. You know, you have a rich spiritual tradition. You have a rich culture. And you've got kind of all of the, the bonds. And then what emerges out of that is somebody who's curious about the world. And then, you know, you've pursued quite a, quite a bit of different things. I mean, you're yeah. a... I, I was researching you on the web. You're a chef. Yeah. You're a DJ. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of that. Yeah. So you love music. You love cooking, which is something that I'm just horrible at. I mean, I'm, I'll cook you a grilled cheese, okay? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Mary, Mary's the cook in our family. You know, I'll watch the kids, but... um. But yeah, I mean, you've, you've sort of, you've had a unique path and, and I want to kind of get into that a little bit. Like where did your love for food start? Well, you know, I mean, African-American culture, you know, families, you know, food is a very, I mean, food is, it's always is important in every culture, but you know, when it comes to just black families, you know, 
food is what brought the family together at, at in the evening, you know, mm -hmm. um, both my parents cooked. Um, I was, you know, growing and growing up in a Muslim family. So I was always around like different types of food based on where my friends were from Middle East, Asia, Pakistan, India, uh, the Mediterranean, but I didn't, it wasn't something where I was like, okay, I'm gonna become a chef. No, I was just always around the food culture, you know? Um, and then I just, I don't know. I just kind of like, it just fell right into it. I, I kind of like, I had a, I fell into, I literally just fell into it. Like I just walked into a restaurant one day and it was Palomino. And I walked in and I was just like mind blown by the open kitchen, the, 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 the just the, 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 the ambiance and just the, the attraction that guests loved seeing how their food was made. And I was like, I want to do that. I want, I really want to do that. You know, I, I, I tried the whole college. I did the little community college bit for, for a second. And, you know, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I just think it just wasn't made for me at that time. Mm -hmm. And I walked into the food world and I was just like, whoa. And I just started learning and learning and learning. And then it was just a matter of time before I had to figure out, okay, all this learning, I got to figure out what am I going to focus on? what type of food do I want to cook and what region and you know, what am I going to do with all this? Then I had to figure out what am I going to do with all this that I'm learning? And I was just like, I love working with kids. And I was like, why not while I'm learning, they can learn from me at the same time. And so really that's pretty much how it was for early on. Like the first 10 years was literally learning the business learning how to work in the kitchen while teaching kids so they can learn what I've been, what I'm going through. So they're going through what I'm going through at the same time. And, uh, and then it's just pretty much like after started the teaching, I was just like, I knew the calling. Like I, I knew, I mm -hmm. figured it out. It didn't take long. I think I gave it five years before I realized, yeah, I already knew what my calling was like cooking and working with kids but it was just like, how can I fuse the two? So that just took time. And uh, pretty much, that's pretty much what I'm doing now. I've, I've figured out a way to be able to feed the people and teach the kids. And that's, I wake up every day knowing that I already know what my position is. And now it's just evolving into food activism or community activism because it, using food is is a is the bridge of bringing folks together to just talk about food or to talk about issues you know like there's two things that bring people together always music and food all the time it doesn't matter who it is like at my pop-up i can have a christian a queer a muslim all in the same room you know, all these differences, cultures, different cultures, you know, all under the same roof to have some food and enjoy each other's company with no hate involved, no dislike involved, but just the idea of just like a space where 
we could just enjoy ourselves, you know, for that, that fragment of time, you know, and that would, that's what drives me. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm, I'm not saying my food is fine dining stellar, but what I do feel like bridging different types of food from around the globe based on my learning definitely creates a different atmosphere you know, and, and it's great. I love to see the, you know, when people talk about it, like, and they're, they're, they're all could be, there could be an a Southeast, someone from Southern India talking to uh, an American white girl talking about, we're gonna go there and eat, you know? And that's just, I'm fine with that. Like I sleep at night, fine with that. Cause I know I brought some people together. And so now having like a brick and mortar it's just gonna make things even more grand. And, and hopefully this space, you know, will give folks an opportunity to, to start coming up with ideas. I expect things to be built coming here, you know? Um, and I feel like it will, you know? Um, yeah. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful, man. Feed the people, teach the kids. Feed the people, teach the kids, man. Power to the people, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, we are very powerful beings if we know how to, like, direct it right. You know what I mean? If we figure out what our purpose is and understand each other as human beings, the slogan, power to the people, is is quite powerful, man. Hmm. Um, but in time, in time. But we do need a gathering place. I we mean, do it's need a gathering place. Yeah, for people to feel welcome in mm -hmm. a in a place mm -hmm. and in a common space. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why I do the work in the woods. That's what I mean. It, you know, started out like pulling weeds, and then it started to evolve into we're creating a place where everybody's welcome, mm -hmm. and um, there's no requirement for walking in here. This is yours to enjoy. Yeah. Be you and come. Mm -hmm. Leave all the negativity at home. Mm -hmm. I love that your your journey to finding your purpose too was, um, well, two things. One, one, it was it wasn't just I'm going to become a chef, but it was I, I want to teach kids. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, there's there's always this idea that um, well when you're talking about purpose and trying to figure out who am I as a person we become so um, focused on ourselves and we forget that the purpose has to include this benefit to the world right you know it's this reciprocity this mutual reciprocity and that's when it's going to become rich and that's when it's going to flourish and you found that at a, at a young age and the second thing was you didn't wait until you had everything figured out nah. to go and, and then go now i'm bringing all of my wisdom back to the children right <laughs> you know now that i've been through all of this it's like no i'm learning along the way and i love that posture that posture of learning mm -hmm. we're all learning like who's got it figured out nobody's got it nobody figured has out. it figured out no nobody does and because what the one thing that we do all have we all have solutions to what to fix the issues, you know? There isn't one solution to cure all, you know what I'm saying? And 
But if we can just come together and figure out how to like connect, bridge a lot of those solutions, things change, you know? And, you know, I, I feel good about the fact of just being around a bunch of like-minded folk that care just as much, you know? Cause you know, at the end of the day, end of the day, right? Food, clothes, shelter. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The three basic mm -hmm. things that we need, right? And outside that, you know, there's self-care, our health, you know, and then we, yeah, we can put wealth in there a little bit, but what is really wealth though? You know what I mean? Because I think that's another reason why we, a lot of us haven't really figured out what our true calling is. Cause we've, we've gotten caught up in like this, this world of what wealth is, mm -hmm. you know, and wealth is like extreme, ex um, uh, 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 I don't know, uh, I don't know what, it, like a very wealthy world. What does that look like? Lavish cars and big houses mm -hmm. and fancy, fancy materialistic things that really don't have no place. You know what I'm saying? And it doesn't really, and it's not benefiting anyone but yourself. So you're kind of, you're kind of like, I think wealth puts us, a lot of us into this bubble, you know? And I think once we realize that we are not, we did not come on this planet to become millionaires, you know? We came to, we were allowed to live on this planet to live amongst each other, have what we need, be blessed to have what we need, and maybe have the opportunity to be able to do a couple extra things. Take our family on a trip, or I don't know, maybe afford a, a little summer home somewhere else for your family or whatever. You know, not, but not like the idea of like, I need that $200,000 car. I need that $80,000 car. I need that half a million dollar home. For what reason? Because what happens when that all gets taken away from you? Then what? Then who are you? Then who are you? Do you know who you really are? Do you know? Um, yeah, that's the American dream, right? It, right. It, it's, the, it's the twisted American dream because yes. it looks really flashy and it's, it's really attractive, but there's a hook in there and, and it runs deep. And, and that's that nothing outside of yourself is going to satisfy that internal angst. And to get to that position... To get to that position of wealth means doing things that are going to be, are going to be quite ugly. Mm -hmm. You know, you're doing more than just stepping over another human being. You know what I'm saying? You are literally, you're doing some evil things. You're enacting violence against other people and the planet. Just on, on your way. On your way to like putting yourself in the position of having a rover. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm like? Cause there is no clean way, man, to wealth, bro. There's just, I just don't believe in that. I just, I feel like, cause once you get in, once you get a little bit of it, you gonna want more. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna just be like, oh, I got what I need and just and walk away from it, man. Mm -hmm. Most folks, once they attain some, they're like, man, this is kind of nice. And and when, the, when you have those practices constantly and the babies see those practices constantly, then they feel like, well, 
that's what that's what the world is. That's what it is. That's what that's it what is. That's what I'm seeing. That's what I know. That's what I'm being taught. That's what I want. Right. And if I want anything else, it's just not going to make sense. Yeah. So, you know, look, wealth, wealth to a certain degree has its place. And I'm not talking extreme. I'm just talking about to be able to do a few other things outside what we need. So I'm not completely against it. And I'm not completely for it. I'm just saying that it has its place, but just not on a very grand level, you know, because um, a part of our soul is eaten away and it's gone mm -hmm. and it's it's hard to get that back. It has nothing to do with why you're here. Right. Right. You know, like, I guess I guess this I'll, I'll say this, you know. Yes, there are folks that that are on this planet that have wealth and they do take a percentage of their wealth and they put it towards things that are needed. And there are folks like that, you know, and that's great. Yeah, there's a lot of generous people in the world. There, there, there are, you know, but when you have everyone trying to like go for that, literally everyone trying to go for that, it's just like, man... Are you really ready for that? Are you really ready? Are you sure you want to go up against this? Because it ain't going to be pretty. Mm -hmm. And I can't say I've witnessed that, but I definitely know we've, we've kind of seen it, what it does. We've seen enough. We've seen enough. Exactly. Come on. More money, more problems. Mm -hmm. You know? So. Well, I want to hear about L.A., so you went from Seattle to L.A. at one point in your life. How'd you end up down there? Um, I pretty much just felt like Seattle was just a, at a stagnant point for me in mm -hmm. food. And I felt like I left at a time which was, I think, I left at the right time. I left at the right time. And it was either New York or L.A. And my buddy... He decided he wanted to move to L.A., so I packed my bags, I moved to L.A., and the goal was to basically pursue my culinary career and to teach. And 10 years there. You were there 10 years? Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. 10 years there, and I did a lot in that gap. I traveled a lot, I taught a lot, I bounced around different restaurants, learned a lot more about just how politics work, looking, working in low income, and I mean piss poor neighborhoods, man, and just seeing how the money flows and seeing how resources are so limited and just sad to see how people have to survive on scraps, mm -hmm. man, like, like poor, poor cheap cuts of meat and food, fruits and vegetables. And, you know, there were so many different things about LA that had me thinking about like where my position is and what my purpose is. And I think LA did that for me. And then of course, traveling helped out a lot, but you know, LA has its, has its perks, you know, who doesn't like sun, you know, 70, 80% of the year, you know, I mean, that first year I was like, I think it rained once or twice my first year, and I was just like, what is this? 
this, man. This is great. You know, um, but outside that, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And I, you know, I think about, I think every single chef that I work with, all the cooks that I've worked with, I think of all the, the, the kids I work with, the community centers that gave me the opportunity to like come in and, and provide a temporary like moment for them on a different look on like education. Um, but it was, it was, it was great, man. But then I just felt like, you know what? My home is home, you know, Seattle is mm. my home, you know? And I was like, whatever I learned in LA, I was gonna somehow figure it out, put it in a bag and bring it back to Seattle. And that's what I did. I came back, but I wasn't really sure. I was just like, am I ready? <laughs> You know, and it's always I, a good sign. Yeah. You know, I was <laughs> like, am I ready yet to do this? And and then I realized I was like, I had worked my ass off very, very hard. And I just said, okay, I'm taking a break. So I just took a break. I took a year off. Mm -hmm. I packed my bags. I had saved some money. And I went to Europe, man. Egypt. I, I just I just traveled, wow. man. And it was great. Spain, Italy, Portugal. Man, like, I mean, I just travel all by myself, man. And it was the best thing I needed. I got rest. I learned so much. I was on my own. And I came back with a much clearer mind on, like, what I wanted. I mean, it was so tempting to just say, okay, I'm going back to the States. I'm going to go to culinary school. I'm going to get my degree and pack my bags and move back oh, back overseas. Like it was so close. Uh -huh. But then I was like, no, what I'm gonna do is come back and really focus on what I should be doing. And that's pretty much all I've been doing like since I've been back, you know? Um, and just pushing the button on, for me, what a chef is, mm -hmm. you know? Um, we have a lot of talent chef, talented chefs in this town, sous chefs, line cooks, you know, but chefs in general, like we have a lot here. And I think there's more to it than just an empire. You know, I feel like with so much exposure on a chef now, like we are such rock stars, man. I mean, you can put us right up there next to a musician next to a rapper, next to anyone that's in that like high-end lifestyle. Like we're that big now. But I'm like, if we're that big, we're that popular, then why aren't we changing the face of the food world? Hmm. You know, like why, why not? And so for me, it was just like, I wanted to go a different direction, it, you know, I mean, I, it, I was never in it for the for the for the the stereotypical chef direction, you know. Um, when I worked in the fine dining restaurants in L.A., nobody looked like me, you know. And I was like, why is that? And I feel like we have the opportunity to be in these places, but what do we need to do to be able to get into those places? And so that was a start. You know, and then I was like, of course, I want the kids, teach the kids. And then I wanted more kids that look like me to just look at 
something else outside entertainment and sports. Not every kid is that kind of a kid. There's a lot of kids that say one thing, but I guarantee you he or she probably wants to be a engineer or a scientist or a chef, you know what I mean? But they, the thing is there's, there needs to be spaces for them to go to so they can actually think outside the box. And uh, that's why I just feel like I know, I know where I belong, man. And I think there are some chefs out here now that are really, you know, understanding like the reason why we need to think about food and how the food is being put on the table, how it's being grown, where it's being placed, affordable accessibility, um, thinking about our waters and how vital that is to our seafood industry. Um, so I'm hoping to see more of us change our role outside the model of just opening up a space in another space in another mm -hmm. space in another space you know um yeah and it's it's a process but with more and more things constantly changing based on some of the basic things like just our political system a lot of us will have to change our way our, our ways mm -hmm. you know and it's okay, you know what I mean? It's for the better good, you know? So So when you got back to Seattle, what was the first step in in actually doing something with cooking? Like did you move back in with your folks or what I moved back in with my mom for the time being, temporarily. And uh I decided that I wanted to at least get my certificate. So if I did want to work overseas, mm -hmm. at least I had the official paper. Mm -hmm. So I went to Cordon Bleu, uh, got a job at Chiquetti and Serafina. And at that time, my mom, and she still does, she's living in Federal Way. So I'm up at 4.30 in the morning, get dressed, go to school, at school at 5.30, 5.45, got class, done with class by 1, on a bus, all the way out to East Lake, working, then get off work, get home, three, four hours of sleep mm -hmm. on top of studying and did that for 10 months, man. So you went from resting for a year to, to getting like, up just... Quote, unquote, balls to the wall, yeah. I guess we could say that. Just full so, speed. Oh, man, full speed, bro. But during that time, um, Serafina was a place where it really helped me develop the cuisine that I wanted to cook. You know, and I also saw so much stuff like going to culinary school, man. I was just like, yeah, okay, now I get it. Now I get it. And that time, that time there, just going through school, I was just like, okay, kids just need, need to spend more time in, in kitchens, man. You know, school isn't, I don't think culinary school has a really have a has a place these days when it comes to kitchens you know mm -hmm. what i mean like the quality of the cook you know these days is different compared to how it was when i was 19 you know when you're back then it was just like you were 
itching to want to learn. You're willing to work three, four, five, six extra hours, no pay. You know what I mean? You just wanted because there was just chefs that really were cooking great food. And it was just, we weren't, the thing is we weren't on the T we weren't on the TV. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Back then there was no such, there was a very small market, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Of like that. But then the exposure changed everything. So, you know, everybody just wants to be on the box. Well, speaking of exposure, you were on the box. I was on the box. So tell me about that. You were on the taste. Yeah. So they called, they They, did a casting call and they basically were just calling around different restaurants, um, interviewing chefs and see what they'd be interested in, you know, competing on the show. And my roommate at the time and good friend, he was the executive chef and they asked him to, if he'd be interested. And he says, yeah, possibly depending on my schedule, but you should talk to my roommate, mm-hmm. you know, and I was pretty much on the verge of leaving. I was just about done. And they contacted me. I did the casting and, uh, they, uh, yeah, I got on, I got picked. Wait, wait, wait. What was the, the did you have to try out? Yeah. You did a little tryout, you know, and what is, what does the trial look like when you're cooking? Oh, you're on camera. <laughs> you got like, you had like a couple minutes to, to make something and then it's just a ton of questions for like weeks on end lots of questions and lots of they're paperwork. going deep lots of paperwork uh, lots of paperwork you signed your life away huh oh yeah and so you know i told my mom i was like hey you know i'm about to go on tv you know and you know for me you know i don't own a tv man i haven't owned a tv mm-hmm. in a long time bro so uh, yeah, so I went down to L.A. with 24 of us from all over the United States, and 16 was going to make it, and I made it on Anthony Bourdain's team, made it to the semis, you know, but the thing is, I went down there with, like, the mentality of, like, cool, yeah, I'm on TV, cool, I got four bosses now, <laughs> okay, so I never went down there with the with the thought of, like, yeah, I'm going to just change who I am. And, yeah. you know, I was just like, no, like this is just an opportunity because now I'm saying to myself, so now I have the opportunity to show the nation this gets to see who I am at home. And I use that as a way to show people what I do here at home. And I walked, I, I left on a, on a good, I felt good when I left. I wasn't disappointed. I was fine with it. It, it didn't rock your world, like oh. it was weird. What was weird about it was when it came out. That was when the that was probably the weird part, like dealing with it when it came out and walking the streets and like everybody knows you and it's just like, shit, this is weird, man. This is really weird. Days of just like staying at home, not going anywhere, bro. Like no, I'm not. Really, going people anywhere. are pulling you off the street. They're like, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, yo, I saw you on the. <laughs> Oh, man, I was just like, it was crazy. But, you know, I worked out. I had a good time. Um, and then Anthony Bourdain, he's like the he's celebrity like the he's like the chef dude. of the universe. Yeah, <laughs> he's he, like the guy. And he you picked know? you. And, uh, and he's a great dude. Like, I have, like, a lot of respect for that guy, you know. And he's an amazing writer. He speaks his mind. You can try to hate on the man all you want, but the man actually knows what the heck he's talking about. 
you know, and he had his time in the kitchen. He was just like, but at the same time, he was writing during that time while he was in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity came. He took advantage of it. And look at him now. Mm-hmm. He's he's huge. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that, you know, it was great. I got a chance to talk Brett, talk to, talk to him for a few minutes and here and there. And But after that, man, you know, I left that. And producers thought I was really cool. They put me in touch with Vice, and then I got the gig with Vice. Well, yeah, I was on your website, and I saw the, what's that, what was the show called? Or Munchies. Uh, yeah, Munchies. Munchies. So I clicked on it. I'm like, oh, he's got some, like, video shows. And I clicked on one, and it's, like, almost a million views on yeah. YouTube. That was, like, that was what? crazy. That was crazy. So I got the opportunity to actually just travel for 14 days around Washington State. It's just dig a little bit into, like food and culture around Washington state and just experience things I've never done. That would have been cool. Ever. Yeah. That was fun. I had a lot of fun. Um, learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about Washington that I didn't know. And people actually thought it was cool. You know, I, you know, I was nervous as heck cause it came out on my birthday. They, <laughs> they released it the day of my birthday and I was just like, wow, this is so weird. And I was like, are they going to like it? You know, are people going to like it? I was so nervous. And people thought it was really good. So I was like, okay, all right. And I was cool with it, you know? And uh, would I do it again? I would say, yeah. If I had the opportunity, I would do it again. But I think if I, if I did it, it wouldn't be on a competitive level. Like I wouldn't do the food competition. I would definitely do more food journalism. Like. Mm-hmm. If I, because I really enjoy that, like really doing the research, meeting the folks, and then talking about it in my way, really like that, mm-hmm. really did. And that's all that really, and then all, both those things, honestly, all that did was just really just gave people an opportunity to see like what I do at home. Because at the end of the day, after the taste is over, I go right back to work. Mm-hmm. You know, for some folks, they were just like doing whatever they could to look like so they could be seen on TV. And I'm just like, eh, whatever, man. Do what you got to do. But at the end of the day, I got kids that, that think I'm cool and I want to go see them again. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to, you know, you found your your calling a long, long time before that. And yeah. then and then you had that grounded year of just like, you know, your sabbatical year mm-hmm. gave you the space to do it. So you know, kind of set you up to be in a really solid place, yeah. you know, emotionally to go through all of that and, yeah. and not be kind of swept up in it and lose yourself. Cause that's so easy to do that. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to do that. And you had already been to LA for a decade. So that wasn't foreign for you to be down there. Nah, it was good. Like all in all, I'd say my, my career, I mean, I'm at 25 years of cooking and I say I've had a pretty cool ride. Mm-hmm. For the first well it's still going it. man and it's still going so well, you know when did the pop-up stuff start happening was that before the taste that was before the taste right when i pretty much got about a year or so after i got the job at serafina i had saw no reservations and anthony bourdain had there was a pop-up group here and it was like membership only, like it was impossible to get in. 
and you had to know somebody to know somebody to get in. And I saw that and I was just like, whoa, I want to do something like that. <laughs> Pop up, that would be fresh. And so three, two of my other buddies and a couple of friends of mine, we got together. We did uh, our very first pop-up and it was my homeboy Aaron. He was the DJ. I was doing the food and then we just had different elements that night and a portion of the money went towards a friend of ours family that had a, a really bad uh, family incident. And so, and that hence how the DJ and the cook came about. And then after that, I was like, Aaron had moved to LA to pursue his camera work. And I was like, I want to do something else with it. And so we did our very first pop-up and it was 17 courses with a wine or some sort of a what? pairing. And it was 20 guests. And I think the last course went out at like, I don't know, 10 o'clock something like that it was so late but it was so much fun and it was and we and after that i was like yeah yeah we're gonna I'm, I'm definitely gonna do more of this so i kept on playing around with it working around my schedule doing like a six course seven course trying out different types of pop-ups pop-up cocktail party uh what else um just basic fun ideas around fine dining, but not not nothing that was super elaborate, but just something that was kind of secretive, you know what I mean? Because the idea of just like, where is it at? Where is it going to yeah. be at? You know, people like that, especially living in this city. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, it was working out for a while, but then people just really didn't have like the finances to be able to do that. And so... Well, what was it? What did it cost to go to one of these things? Oh, man, anywhere from 75 bucks and up. But then I changed it, and then I was like, okay, no more of the dining. Let's do pop-up late night, mm -hmm. which was something that's always Seattle's always never really had, a late-night scene. And so I did that for a while, and that was going pretty good. Where were you doing that one? I was at Manu's Bodega down off of Yesler and 3rd, like Prefontaine okay. area. But, you know, that area is tricky, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's still, it's kind of sketchy, uh -huh. you know. But, I mean, we had a following, had a following. It was going good. But then I was just like, well, I'm going to just give it a break. So I gave it a break just for a little bit. And that's when I moved back down here. Uh -huh. And I was like, you know what? There ain't no breakfast down here. There's no brunch down here. So I met up with Joya. At Ten Umbrella, yes, and we talked, and we love met. to Joya. Shout out to Joya <laughs> Iverson, yes, and it was her one year anniversary, and so I set up like four six foot tables with some portable burners, some plates, all my food, and a friend of mine would be the be the server, and we and literally that's what I did. I did like that a couple times, and damn, it wasn't like forty fifty people, man, like. 100 plus people man it was crazy man <laughs> and so uh that's when i realized okay that's it that's what it is it's brunch and it's working and it's been working yeah. for three years and i'm getting ready to retire for and <laughs> i got two more and so, then you're moving in here and then we're moving into the black and tan hall 
yeah, in about six to 10 weeks. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And the thing is like, it's been a good run, man. Like I didn't think about, oh man, bouncing around different spaces and, and finally having a brick and mortar. So, I mean, I was technically the pop-up chef. Uh-huh. I mean, no one does pop-ups for six years, bro. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you do it for like a year or so and then that's it. Right. And then you, and then you move on to uh-huh. brick and mortar, food truck, something, right? But, you know, finally, we're about to hang it up, and I'm ready for the next step, you know? Like, and, you know, the question's going to be, can the pop-up chef run a brick and mortar? I was like, man, <laughs> you know, hey, I can do this, man. You know, I've been cooking long enough. We're at, we've got a great business model. It's going to work out. And we're going to have brunch in the neighborhood. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we got to wrap this up. People are starting to come in here. But um, Black and Tan Hall. Yeah. Um, That's where we are, by the way. We're sitting in a booth in the Black and Tan Hall in Hillman City. Yep. Which is a neighborhood in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And um, this place used to be Maxim's, right? Yeah. Used to be Maxim's. It was a black-owned space for a period of time and they pretty much had the same message they just wanted to create a space for black and brown folk queer folk Mm -hmm. you know trans i mean it was a it was a lounge and they they had the same message you know but the model was just different and then before that it was uh was a japanese theater for a period of time and then before that it was originally it was called the American Theater when it opened up in 1921. Wow. Yeah. So when we heard about the space going up for sale, thanks to Rodney Harrell, who's also one of the co-founders of the space, mm-hmm. uh, we met the owner, which is James from Bob's Meats, uh, who also owns all the Tenebra, the the, the 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 office space, Carl's space. Mm-hmm. Like he owns all that, so he owns half this block. But the one thing that was cool about him was that he wanted to see something that would benefit the neighborhood. Awesome. Hence the reason why he bought the building. And so Ben, Rodney, and I got together in December and said, okay, what are we going to do? Because he gave us like a little timeline of just basically before he put it out on the market mm-hmm. to come up with something. We showed him the collab. He liked what the collab was doing because Ben was over there doing some amazing work. And then we sat down, came up with this model, a co-op model, and with the idea of creating community development with sweat equity. Mm -hmm. And we knew it was all new. We knew it was going to be completely different, but we knew that it was going to benefit the neighborhood. And so we've been at it since May, and the space is anywhere from six to ten weeks out before we open. Love it. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I remember I was over in the collab. I, I was writing. There was like nobody in there. And you and Ben were in there shooting pool. Right. And you were talking about turning this space into something. And you were like, just kind of brainstorming, throwing out ideas. No, it's got to be for the kids. It's got to be open. You know, everyone's, right. you know, I, so it's so cool to be in here, you know, just a little over a year later and it's happening. And it's happening. It's really happening. And we got a, a great group of folk that have joined on. Hence, the guy that just walked by, David, um, 
and we're all on the same page of like what we think it's great and what's going to benefit the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And all it's going to do is just create foot traffic, which means businesses stay open later. It's going to create people out, get people out of their house and not have to go to Columbia City. Go outside. Come outside. <laughs> it's really nice to be outside. You know, a space for kids, a space for elders, you know, um, and it's just going to have a little bit of everything. Music, food, educational hub space, meeting space, like all under one building. And, and it's community funded. Yeah, you talk know? about that because the the cooperative model is so interesting. Yeah, and, um, my relationship to the cooperative a cooperative model really is only in regards to REI because right. they're one of our partners with the work in the woods, and and they come with this. They've really honed in on this in the last few years, like really changed their brand focus to be like, no, we're focused on the members, and that's and that's what we're all about. But then to see it at like a grassroots local level, yeah, you know. And then I read on the website like what you're trying to do. Can you say more about that? Yeah, the the thing is when neighborhoods change, right? You know, it's usually the same old thing. Something comes, and you're still in the, you're still a consumer, mm -hmm. and it doesn't benefit you, right? But why not create something where you play a role in how, not just where your, how your money grows, but how you can actually play a role of taking ownership, putting in some work. Um, why not just look at profit in a different way? But yes, it's gonna take time, it's gonna take a lot of learning, which we're still doing. Like we're, we're, we have not got it completely figured out and that's fine. That's what it's supposed to be. Cause we're not supposed to figure it out that fast. This is all new, man. And people are really intrigued, you know? And I think what's going to end up happening, they're just like, people want to join, but I think what's going to end up happening, we're going to open and then the floodgates will come. Mm -hmm. And, uh, once people see like what we're really up to, I expect to see people to take that idea and do it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we want to do. It's one thing we want to benefit the neighborhood, but we want to get the we want to get that dialogue of communal ideas mm -hmm. and turning it into a business or turning it into a for profit or turning it into a, a resource hub space, which we need, you know, and it's gonna work like it's it's gonna work man yeah I, we're gonna yeah. learn we're gonna learn along the way you know we're gonna end up having some days where it's just like you know we might have an argument or two but hey at the end of the day we know what we want for this space and for the neighborhood can you articulate what the model actually is like so say say neighbor wants to be involved how do they get involved okay so there is a pretty much a, a basic so you go online and base, uh, you go to the website and it'll, there'll be a, a handful of questions that, that you have to answer. And uh, we, the board, we formed a board. We, we look at those answers and then we get in touch with you. We get in touch with you and then we invite you down to the work party. Shout out to David, what's, what's up, up man? David? <laughs> um, 
we invite you down to the work party and to see what we're about. Like we are not asking you, we're not doing any form of signing anything. We just want you to come down and, mm -hmm. meet, and meet some of the folk, right? And then after you meet us, then we give you that, we give you the paperwork, you look at it, you look at, you look at the numbers, and then we give you time. Mm -hmm. And then when you feel like you're interested, then you submit. And then we as a board, we go back and we kind of have a vote process based on consensus and see is this the right, is this person the right fit mm -hmm. for the space? And then once you're on, there's different levels of how you can buy in. Okay. It could be as cheap as no money. You can just work your way up. It could be $5 a month. You could be just a subscriber if you want. You could be an angel investor if you choose. Uh, or we do the 2,500, 52-hour threshold. Or say a, you want to go in for a bigger amount. Say like 10 grand, 24 hours. That's a year, 52 hours in a year. Mm -hmm. But you can't put money up without working. Just because you put in a maximum amount of dollars more than anyone else, you don't get majority vote. All voices are heard. You're just on the, you're on the same level as everyone and you're still gonna have to be a buster one time. <laughs> you still might have to, you know, pour a drink or two. So it's really, there's different ways to create investment for pretty much anyone. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of like, are you on that same page like the rest of us? Mm -hmm. And do you care about what we care about right now and 50 years from now? So to turn this place into an institution, definitely want to see that happen. Mm -hmm. Would I like to see four or five, six more of these somewhere else, no matter what it is? I don't care, it could be a co-op bakery, a mm -hmm. naturopathic clinic, but what it's doing, it's creating resources that neighborhoods need. I love it, and it gives everybody a, a chance to participate. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody. If, if you got an idea, you can come in here, and you can share your idea, and, yeah. and see if it's gonna work. And then there's a facility. I mean, there's like, there's a stage. There's a stage, there's a balcony, there's a meeting room we're gonna we're gonna build upstairs. I mean, and then there's a restaurant. There's the bar. And you're the restaurant, right? And I'm the restaurant guy. I don't I don't mess around with the music, man. I don't sing, man. What? what sing, you're a DJ. Dance. What happened there? Yeah, I DJ. <laughs> but you know, I, my my job is to I'm the food guy. I'm the food guy. All right. You know, and we're just gonna create small plates which work with the entertainment mm -hmm. conversation. Small plates is great convo food, you know, instead of just one big plate, eat, done, wash something, and then leave. No, the idea of just like multiple dishes, affordable dishes, and just something good to drink while you watch your neighbor doing a playwright mm -hmm. or live music mm -hmm. or tap, you know, maybe coming in on a Sunday, it'd be gospel brunch. You know, like all those things could happen. In Anything space. goes. Anything goes, man. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. 
Yeah. I love it. I'm excited. So what's the timeline? When When is this thing opening? We always, we're not talking dates. No, no, no. You have We've to say decided, where. We decided to not, <laughs> we decided to not talk dates. We are just going to say, because the thing is, it's really in the hands of the city. Oh, is it? Yeah. Once the permitting process starts, it's on them. Oh, got so it. our responsibility right now is to get the space done, built mm -hmm. out. And we're looking pretty good. So are you having work parties every day or? Um, Tuesday nights are a basic work party night, but if you want to come in any other time, you can call me, you can email us and say, Do you say, want hey. people to call you or sure? Yeah, they can. I mean, <laughs> hey, you know what I mean? The people want to, people really want to be a part of the space. So, you know, if they can, they can email me. They can go to the website, www.blackandtanhall.com. So it is not black and tan. It is black and tan hall. Oh. Very important to emphasize the hall. So they can go to that website. You can see what we're about. You want to come down and hang out with us, hammer a nail, you know, cut some wood, do some painting, you know, shoot some jokes. Um, yeah, come on down. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Black and tan hall. That's dot, right. Is it com or? Work? Yeah, dot com. Dot com. Mm hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And then if people want to find you, should they use that website or? If you want to find me, my website is www.cheftarek.com. Or you can just find me here. I pretty much or live here. at this. Just come over I here. live at this place, man. <laughs> I almost have a bed upstairs. So, yeah. I love it. Well, I appreciate your time. Thanks, bro. I love your story. It's, Word. it's super inspiring. And I love your approach to life. You know, it's like just this evolving learning process. And, yeah. and it's coming through in this, too. Like, you guys don't have it figured out, but it's happening and it's evolving. And I think that's uh, an admirable way to move through the world. And, yeah. and um, I'm definitely going to be here with, with, with the, the munchkins. With the munchies. Yeah. <laughs> munchkins. So. Yeah. We're going to get them out here. Um, my, my one son wants to be an actor. So. Well. Yeah. There'll be a there's, space for that. There's a stage. There is a stage, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, have a great day. Thanks, brother. Much Thank appreciated. You. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, yeah. What'd you think of that? I told you Tark's a cool cat. Man, love that guy. Loved that conversation, too. I hope you enjoyed it. So... Before I let you go, just remember, you can check out the show notes at lyman.space slash emerging future. You can donate to the show at the Patreon page, patreon.com slash emerging future. And if you want to come out and pull some weeds, plant some trees, and build some trails, check out chiesty.org. That's C-H-E-A-S-T-Y dot org. And don't forget to hit subscribe on iTunes so that... Anytime one of these shows pops up, it comes into your feed and onto your device so you can listen whenever and wherever you are. And supposedly it really helps, too, if people write reviews for podcasts. So if you feel so inclined to do that, I would greatly appreciate it. All right. With that, we'll see you back here next time.